So if you could think of like a couple of tips that you would give, whether it's other managers or creators, like things you think they might not be privy to all the time. If you're not posting 10 plus story frames a day, brands don't think that you're a true influencer because you are not posting your whole entire life all the time. And that's how you convert is that your fans know who you are. And if you're not posting, they don't know who you are. Another thing that I think is super helpful is if you have, for example, Sunday night, you cook on your stories every single night. I don't care if it's in your highlight. If you do something in stories and you're not doing it in feed, you don't do those things. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Hey guys, what is going on? Welcome back to the Women in Influencer Marketing Podcast. My name is Jesse Grossman. I am super excited to be back with you guys yet again this week. I just finished interviewing Courtney Bagby Lupillen, who was a fantastic guest, and I'm going to introduce her in just about a minute. Um, you guys, we have I'm in like the throes of the finishing touches of putting all these events together. I know that I, I'm talking about these like week over week over week, but they're just going to be so good. And it's like the coolest thing to have people in person and like interacting and like really truly connecting. Nothing beats it. Certainly no virtual event beats it. The big conferences that I go to don't beat it either because it's hard to like really connect with people at those big industry conferences. And I recommend going. Like I love all those conferences. I'll continue to go too. But we're like very specifically creating these in-person events that are like these like mid-sized events where you still feel like you can very much connect with people and get to know people and network, but like they're fun and we have and drinks and giveaways and gift bags and like the whole thing. Anyways, I'm like loving it. I am a newly found event uh, designer, like an event um, programming person, whatever I'm trying to call myself today. It's fun. It's been fun. It's stressful. It's really stressful running events and getting all the um, everything in order. But like I highly encourage you guys to check out our website, iamwim.com slash events. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M.com slash events because our New York event is coming up and it's going to be fabulous. It's on July 27th and our Chicago event is going to be fabulous and it's on September 14th. So please come. And if you listen to the podcast and you attend these events, please come up to me and introduce yourself and specifically say that you listen to the podcast because it's like very challenging for me not having this be more like a two-way conversation. Um, thank God that I have like an interview style podcast where for the most part I get to interview other people and have those conversations. But so like on social media, in the comments, I'd be able to hear from you guys if you like 
follow the show or follow our community or follow me or whatever it is, right? But like podcast, it's very challenging. I get lonely. I want to, I don't get to hear from you guys enough. So I try to encourage you guys to like comment on the YouTube video so that I can hear from you guys more often, but, and and please still do that. I hope you guys tune in on YouTube. We do a lot of extra work to make this like a video podcast, but come to these events and say hello in person because again, nothing beats an in-person connection. Specifically say that you listen to the podcast so I can thank you in person and like get to know you um, so you're not just like a stupid number on a podcast. Okay, guys. I'm very excited to introduce you to our guest this week. She is such a firecracker and I adore her. We first met in person a little over a year ago in LA, which is where she's based. Courtney Bagby Lupillen is the CEO and founder of Little Red Management. She's a talent manager for reality TV stars from shows on ABC, CBS, MTV, and Netflix, including The Bachelor franchise, Big Brother, Love is Blind, and The Circle. She is a true fangirl turned entrepreneur, and she merged her passion with reality TV and her acumen for advertising, communications, and digital media. She began her career at Oracle in SF, but a yearning for the celebrity side of influencer marketing is what led her to LA, where she volunteered her time and built relationships within the reality TV world before taking the big leap to launch her own company, Little Red Management, in 2019. And by the way, at the time, she was only 25. So good for freaking her. We talk about so much on today's episode. It's a bit of a long one because we had a lot to talk about. So I'm so excited for you to listen and let's jump right into it. Here's Courtney. So Right before we just started recording, um, we were saying how the last time we saw each other was in LA at VidCon, but like a year plus ago, this really cool restaurant. Do you remember what it was called in LA? Oh my gosh. I feel like it was called Plestos. Dang, you have a good memory. It was really nice. Actually, technically speaking, we were in Anaheim, um, but that was the last time that we saw each other. And I'm just happy for you to be on the pod today so we can like selfishly, I'm like, oh, cool. We get to catch up. I know, of course, because we just were like chatting nonstop for like hours that night. So I was super excited to catch up on the record, maybe off the record, all the things. But no, I'm super happy to be here and chat more and see what we uh, come up with. Absolutely. So we heard a little bit about you like on paper in the intro to the show. But I think it would be great for us to just level set and tell everyone listening and remind me even like just tell me about your path to influencer marketing and how you ended up launching your own company. I could go on for hours about this. So I'll kind of give you the short and sweet, uh, the short and sweet version. But when I was in college, so this was like 2015, it was one of the first years that I actually feel like reality TV people were starting to get a following on social media. It was like the days where 
really like FabFitFun and like Diff Eyewear were the only like brands that really did influence our marketing. And I thought it was the coolest thing because it was really the season. I looked back at it, too, of like why I was so into this season it was like Chris Soul season with like Caitlin Bristow, Ashley Kennedy, like all the stars really now. Right. Becca Tilly, like all of them are like some of my favorite people. I know exactly the time that you're thinking. And it was like it was such an epic time in, in reality TV. And I'm the biggest Bachelor fan. Same. You can just call me the number one fan. But I just really was like so intrigued with the fact that they were like actually getting paid on social media. And meanwhile, I had been studying advertising since freshman year in the sense of like I knew I wanted to be in social media in some capacity. And I didn't really like understand like that I really liked the entertainment side of things until I would like visit LA with a couple of my friends and like always be the girl like waiting outside of bars like for the celebrities seeing who I can see fangirl a little bit like we'd hang out at the Grove which if people don't know what the Grove is it is a great spot for celebrity sighting we would literally sit at the movie theater there from like 5 p.m. till 12 and we would see at least three to five celebrities like every single time and like take photos with them. Totally fangirl. And I just like found my love for like the high of meeting celebrities, I guess, and like fangirling. And so that's kind of when I like really realized that that's what I wanted to pursue. Um and I would try to talk to people in the industry. I would want to work for like Freeform because they were like part or ABC because they were part of like my favorite TV shows, right? Literally got nowhere. Ended up like working in tech for like three years. And I would just like slide into the DMs of like all my favorite reality stars and like see how I could help them. Like one of my clients today, we were like look, scrolling back to our like first DMs and I was like asking her how much she got paid for like diff eyewear. Like that's like throwback of like me even trying to figure out that like way back in the day. I ended up working in tech for three years, volunteering for a nonprofit event that they held every year where like you could meet reality stars. And like I was just trying to network that way. And so when I moved down to LA, um I started helping I mean I guess this was previously I started helping like a podcast with Ashley Kennedy and one of her podcasts and so I started like their Facebook group started becoming involved that way and that actually helped me get my first job at a talent agency and I worked at a commercial talent agency for a year and they didn't want to work with reality stars and that's like what I wanted to do that's like who I knew in the industry, you know, like there was a few people from Pretty Little Liars that I liked that we worked with, but like I really, really wanted to manage like The Bachelorette or, you know, like The Bachelor and like that was my world that I was in or, or that I wanted to be in. And so when I found out, like my boss kind of was like, Courtney, we are never going to manage reality stars. And I was like, okay, like, Gonna put my two weeks then. She's like, you're gonna go do your own thing, huh? And I was like, yeah, I am. And she was like a huge Bachelor fan too, like me. So I like never understood. So I like always pester her, like, can we please like do this? And so that was now four years ago. And like, I mostly am known for a manager for reality stars now, or at least one of them. 
how did she know? She was like, oh, you're going to start your own thing. Like, how did she know that you would do that? Well, I feel like, I mean, this is just me being me, but like, I feel like I'm a very persistent person. And like, I would tell her like who I knew, you know what I mean? Like I was trying to bring in like bachelor people that I knew or big brother people that I knew like to the agency. And it was kind of like, they were not interested in that. But I don't know. I guess that's a good question, but maybe I'll take it as a compliment, right? I can imagine it's definitely complimentary for sure. And so now today you've owned your own agency for a few years. Like give us the real real, like give us, you know, not just the highlight reel, but of course it would be lovely to hear some highlights. Like what is it actually like owning your own talent management company? Let's start with you're working 24-7 and you're always available to everyone. Well, at least I make myself available to everyone, which is probably something that I have an issue with in my boundaries. But I think that that really ends up setting me apart, to be honest, from a lot of other people, because I think like they can call me whenever and like I will be there for them. And I think that also comes with my love for reality tv and actually knowing who they are or at least me thinking that i know who they are from launching them but i think also like the hardest part that i always like get upset about is just like not being able to like provide enough income for that um and i talk about this a lot because i feel like it's like my biggest struggle with having my own company and like i've gotten to a point where i just want to work with exclusive talent so I feel the need to like really right provide for them and their families and it's a lot more than people think and I only have so much control over like even being able to like tell them like what to do on social media because it's not my job to post you know it's not my job to come up with the content like it's my job to get the brand deals and so it's like really hard for me sometimes because like I'm not a babysitter. You know what I mean? Like, I can't sit here and tell you to post organically every single day. Like, you should be, you know? Like, why do I have to tell someone to post 10 stories? That's another thing. And, like, I just can't believe the amount of times that I'm, like, literally will be with a client. And I've asked five days in a row, like, can you please post organically? And it's, like, it's still not happening. And I'm, like, it's, like, I'm literally right next to you. You know, I hear this certainly from other talent managers for sure, but I feel like there is there's a possibility that like reality stars could be worse in this area, perhaps in other areas, like certainly more challenging. Do you agree with that? And I guess how do you think that working with reality TV stars maybe is a little bit different from maybe working with like a traditional influencer I feel like in the last year I've noticed that a ton mostly because I've been more open to taking non-reality clients you know I didn't know who they were you know when I brought on my YouTube family I didn't know who they were now I'm a huge fan of them right or when I brought on my foodie girl like I knew nothing about food and like the food space that's like by the way the top space to be in right now I feel like which is insane. We have to talk about that after. I'm going to put a pin in that because I do want to get back to that. That's interesting. It is. But I think the biggest difference is, tell me what you think too, but I mean, this is my theory, is that 
when you're on reality TV, you are handed followers, right? Handed, let's say. You get a lot of followers from going on reality TV. Maybe not as much as you used to, but you do get followers. And all of a sudden, you go in this panic mode of, oh, my God, what do I do? Like, this is this new job. And, like, what do I do with this platform? Like, what is my thing? What do I even like to do? What should I be posting? This whole thing, right, of figuring out this whole new different lifestyle and this, honestly, routine to becoming an influencer and content creator. I mean, most of the content from reality TV stars is not good. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. And you look at a content creator and, I mean, you can tell the difference and the hustle that they have put into it to grow their following organically over 10 years. I mean, my clients that have been in the industry that are just kind of 10 years of doing their own thing. You know what I mean? And so, like, this has been their job. This is how they work. They already know how to wake up and just get to creating content. So I think it's more of the change in routine. But what do you think? I mean, I've worked with both. Um, like I did a brand deal with Chris Sewell. They're talking about Chris Sewell. It's like, you know, I've done a deal with like Andy Dorfman, like former bachelorette and stuff. And this was years ago. So I would hope that a lot of the struggles that some of those folks had like many years ago have improved. Like back then, they they didn't necessarily understand the stuff that traditional influencers did. Like they didn't necessarily know mm-hmm. how to like frame the pro- like the product was most important and had to be focused on. I think that's on- now still though, Jesse. That's the thing because they get off the show, they're newbies, right? They don't know. Right. You don't know what you don't know. So I guess like I would like to think that a lot of those people over time just like learned the lay of the land. But basically, I can also see how separated those worlds are. Like, so I used to represent actors in commercials. Right. And we there's just a very specific mentality, I think, with a lot of those people. They like they train for sometimes decades, right? And they take their craft very seriously. And so there's a little bit of a stigma for those who cross over, I think, very much to this day because of how seriously they take their craft. And so I I feel like there is this desire to retain the, you know, I am a performer first or, you know, I do TV first because it feels more legit for some reason. And they hesitate to sort of maybe pick up some of the skills that would be necessary to excel in the creator economy space. However, I mean, my two cents is that the ones that are the smartest are crossing over like crazy, like, because they see how lucrative they can be. They see how it helps the reality stuff. It helps the longevity of their career broadly. There's just so many more opportunities that open up if you can sort of straddle both sides. So I don't know. I'd be curious. Like we sort of like put a pin on this. Maybe this is a good place to throw it in. You mentioned briefly before, you know, oh, the food space, the food space. That's like this really good place to be. What are the most successful types of clients and why? How would you describe a really successful model of an influencer? Yeah, I actually love that question because I feel like I tell every single client what they need to do to be successful, or at least in my eyes. 
And does it happen? Like, you know, not all the time, <laughs> but I would say the most successful in my eyes for sure are the true content creators, whether that's from reality that are also content creators or have become content creators. And I feel like even my reality star clients would be like, what's the difference between a content creator and like a reality star, right? And it's like quality content truly is the difference. Like it's the fact that it's like it's an art, like what you were saying. And it's like the people that are making the most money on social media and the most success in that realm are creating high quality content in any means, especially with the fact of which we can go into of the fact that brands need paid media behind it. They need to boost the content. They need to use the content elsewhere other than just posting organically on social media. So it needs to be high quality. And like, I have a mixture. I mean, I think it's moms, right? I think it's foodies. I think that it's truly just posting consistently and feed like five to seven times a week, which no one wants to hear. Like when I tell clients that, um, I actually started like having sort of a rule, Jesse, where I was like, I wouldn't even bring on a client unless they were posting minimum three times a week. I mean, I don't even say that seven is too much, right? Like in feed. And in order to make this a full-time career, like you can't post three times a week and think that you're gonna make full-time money. Like that's a part-time job if you're posting three times a week, you know? So, I mean, I don't even really bring on clients anymore unless they're posting three times a week in feed. Do you look for people who are like on multiple platforms? Like, do they have to also be on YouTube or also have a podcast? Or are you cool just representing people who like they're just really big on Instagram, for example, or one platform or the other? Do you have a preference? I feel like I personally have a lot of brand connections slash my expertise is more around Instagram. So because I've had this a lot of like big TikTok followings, and like not as much Instagram. And I'm just like worried that I won't be able to make them as much money because I don't know if it's because TikTok is kind of this like weird space in the brand world right now. It's like they're trying to figure it out or like who they're going to work with or what it is. But I don't always think that a lot of followers on TikTok necessarily means anything right now, you know? So I get more hesitant, but I do want someone who just posts consistently high quality content and that, that I can look at their feed and know that they have a thing. Because if I'm confused what your thing is, brands for sure will be confused what your thing is. 100%. That clarity is really, really important. And then when making brand deals, what advice would you give to creators in terms of the criteria that they should be looking for? Are you kind of referring to like when a brand reaches out to them, kind of knowing if it's like legit or not, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so great question. So like to know if it's legit and like, you know, to know if it's the type of partner that makes sense for them, because you can interpret that in a million different ways. But like, I'm just curious, like the criteria that creators should should look for just to know that it's a, a good partnership for them. Feel like a lot of my clients look to me to like know that, right? So here's like a few things. So I always look up their Instagram and website just to like check it out, see if they look legit, right? 
like or see me phone um, or like who they've worked with i always ask for examples of people that they've worked with and like past content examples um payment up front side note but like seeing if they got money um and then i also like always google the agency or brand like if it's an agency that comes to me just so that i can see like what other brands they work with and also understand it like sometimes a agency will reach out to me and i've like worked with the brand directly so like i'm always going to kind of like confirm with the brand to like make sure that that's their agency that they want me to work with you know like for my client too but i also think that a lot of it is like would my client actually use the product like i will get upset if a client especially if they're super busy like client says yes to a campaign and like they would never use the product or it doesn't work or they didn't test it and I feel like saying that I even like always support is let's send you the product try it because every legit brand should want the the like actually like the brand that they're promoting and be okay with them testing it before they say yes to a campaign you know okay so my slightly controversial thought You'll hear a lot of people say what you just said, which makes perfect logical sense, which is like, you have to love the product. You have to be into the product, right? Actually, don't think that necessarily is true because I think that influencers at their core, they're storytellers, right? And so if they have, let's say like a sister-in-law that would love the product or, you know, you're talking about moms, like if their daughter would love the product or they're gifting their teacher the product, like, there are so many different stories that can be told that make it authentic for the product to be used, but it doesn't always have to be them loving it. And in fact, I wonder if we're getting to like a critical point in which influencers can't fucking love everything. <laughs> and like, it's like, oh my God, it's my favorite. That's my favorite. I love it. Blah, blah, blah. So like, what are your thoughts on that? Like, have you seen it successfully done where an influencer would be like, I love this product for so-and-so, or am I just like living on a cloud and hoping that could happen? So I think that historically, influencer marketing and celebrity marketing, right? Like this world is all about them themselves endorsing the product right that's where celebrity endorsements came from so it's all about them loving the product but i agree now in the influencer space how do you love every single product and i think actually brands or at least i've seen some creative ways that i'm actually really loving jesse about this way of doing things where i will have a client promote a toothbrush right and they do a morning routine and they're going to include their other brands that they use in their morning routine in addition to that toothbrush, right? And I feel like that's the way to do it. I mean, I don't just use one makeup brand. I don't just use one skincare brand for my whole skincare routine, you know? And that's just the reality of it. But it's weird because I had an instance recently where I like got an offer for a nutrition brand I guess and like my client did not want to use it herself but she still wanted to promote it because it was good funny right and like she was like I can promote it for other people and the brand was like no like we need her to use it 
And that's where I kind of agree with you, where it's like, I know that it's a celebrity endorsement. I get that. You want her to say she's using herself, but like it can get the same sort of engagement of her saying, hey, guys, look at this product that I found and I'm so intrigued on it and I'm considering taking it, right? Like people don't need to know, like considering taking it and like here it is kind of thing. To me, that sort of this whole conversation sort of equates to like, do people think outside the box enough? And if I could sort of say like my one of my biggest gripes about our industry is like people are just a little too narrow minded. I don't think people are thinking outside the box enough. And I think this is just one of probably many examples where people are just like very stuck in their ways. And they're like, well, of course, the influencer would have to use it. But it's like, do they? Like, Maybe, maybe there is an instance or instances, of course, where like it wouldn't make sense otherwise. I have like a confession. I feel like I need to confess something now because we're like having this conversation. I actually kind of hate when my clients are annoying about trying products. <laughs> I thought you were going to say what you hate when they're annoying. I was like, girl, me too. Try it before or like, no, I would never take that. And sometimes I'm like, okay, like, let's just like figure it out. Like, you're either going to do the campaign or not. Like, I got to move on. I got other things to do. Like, yes or no. I'll give someone else the campaign. On one hand, I get it. And I have to tell my team, right? Like, no, it's okay that so-and-so wants to try the product before. But on the other hand, I'm like, but I get it. Like, can we just hurry up and say yes or no? Because if you want to be a, it kind of sounds like pinkish. Like, let me try it first oh, can I take my sweet time to decide if I want to do this? Like, no, you have two hours to decide if you want to do a campaign. You're in or out. Which one is it? No, that's like such a legit thing. I Look, I get like real talk. I think there are a lot of managers that I know are listening to this conversation. And like, I know that they relate to that because like you just get in a mode. And most times people just say yes or no. Like at the end of the day, managers are trying to make people money. Like we're not like getting people PR. Like we're trying to like make them wealthy. We're trying to make them money. Um, And so like it's all about deal flow and churning deals out, you know. And so to be able to do that, you got to move somewhat quickly. Plus there are definitely instances where like there's pressure to accept something right away or it's going to go to somebody else. I hate that pressure. I hate that, like, sort of intimidation. Don't you think that's so important, though, like, for clients to understand? I've been having to tell clients that because, like, if you don't want the campaign, someone else will do it. So, like, if you don't want this, like, there's no more money here. There's no negotiation. If one less story or no link in bio. Like, it's either you want to do it or you don't. And, like, we're moving on, you know? This is extra interesting to talk about with you because you represent reality stars. So like these aren't just your like run of the mill influencers. These are people with a little bit more cachet and recognition to their name. So in your world, are you still finding that there's the pressure to just accept right away? Like if your client, if one of your clients says like, can they send me the product so I can really see if I like it, which makes perfect logical sense. I've certainly experienced it more often when I've worked with like traditional celebrity talent. But do you find that the other side, the brand is more willing to cater to some extra needs because they have more recognition? You're nodding your head. Yes. Okay. Do you find that 100% of the time? 50% of the time. The people that 
the brand wants and they come to me to book that person, like they're going to do whatever they can to like make it work with that talent. And if they have to negotiate no link in bio, like they'll do it. My problem with that, Jesse, is then my client then thinks that they can always do that and always negotiate all these little things away. Where when in reality, as you know, some agencies, I would say most agencies these days already have the creative and the deliverables down to a T and there's no negotiations that you can do with some of those deliverables. So it's really hard to kind of find that fine line of being able to be like, okay, yeah, we can negotiate that or like trying to come up with creative ways to work together. And honestly, I feel like that just comes down to kind of like reading the room and the talent too. And like me understanding what the talent's going to do even before I'm like reading the offer, you know, like being more comfortable. But Jesse, can I just like bring this up real quick? Because this has been a huge problem in my company right now is it reminds me of when brands and me give content due dates and like race dates and go live dates because it's probably the biggest issue to like get clients to talent to send me content on time. And I I know we talk about this all the time, like in whim and it's a thing, but it's annoying too on the brand side because you know, some brands are flexible, others aren't. And and I want your opinion on this. How do we, you know, talent that of like, how do they know, right? That like, when I'm saying I need it by 9 a.m. Pacific time, like I need till I am Pacific time. If they don't send it, then it's still fine. They're still can send it at 5 p.m., you know? And it's not the end of the world. Yeah, we, it's funny. Actually, our last month's manager meetup we had all these topics that we wanted to discuss and this exact topic monopolized the entire conversation, which is so interesting. Well, then there were some people who have like just been managers for like many, many years and like, I can't believe we're having this, like we're wasting our time having this conversation. And I was like, well, like, of course, because like ideally it just wouldn't even be a thing, but like it's still a thing and it's something that people struggle with. I think like the slight time that I'll devote to explaining why I think this is a thing is I just think generally speaking, like if you think about the human brain, we are like there is a left brain and a light and right brain people. And most creators are creatively minded, which does not equate to deadlines or, you know, just like kind of crossing T's and dotting I's. Right. So I think that's like a little bit of the why. Um, some people were coming up with like some really interesting solutions in terms of like how to get your creators to like deliver content on time, how to just manage expectations broadly, which I think is probably like the most important conversation, right? It, like, sure, maybe we're talking about this like minute thing, which is like, how do you get your content creator to deliver their content on time? But I think more broadly, which is more applicable to so many other things as well 
it's just like, how do you manage everybody's expectations? And like, as a manager and you have a team, like you're like the ringleader of the circus. You're in the epicenter of a million different things happening around you, especially if you have creators who are on the same campaign, right? Because then it's like, oh, like I had one person deliver on time and the other person's late. Like, how do I manage that? You know, like, and you know, here's a follow-up question that I'm curious about that this came up in that conversation too. I think a lot of managers, their natural inclination is to sort of throw themselves under the bus because they want to sort of save face for their clients and have their client not look like, you know, they forgot the deadline or they're just, you know, not professional. How do you guys handle that? Like, will you always sort of throw yourself under the bus? It to make your client look good? Or is your reputation important to, you know, to save face I for don't as know well? If this is like me just being like overly transparent, but I'll always tell them, like, hey, I'm so sorry. Like, we need till end of day. Like, you know, she's working on it. You know, we're going to get it content to you. We have a videographer tomorrow. We're trying to get the edits back. Like, I'm always like very transparent with what is going on like whether they're on vacation and they like all of a sudden are there so like I will I guess I don't want to say like throw my clients under the bus but I will like tell them what's going on but I will say it's hard too because like I also try to be like super on it like if a client forgets what content is due and I hate saying this because I think it's the talent's job to remember when we send a brief with like the due date and stuff that they're not going to and so you know I did get upset with an employee on on yesterday when content was due yesterday for a brand and he went on vacation didn't have the product prime day tomorrow he has to post and he doesn't have the content and I was like look like you should have been texting him on Friday saying hey Reminder, you have content due Monday, you know, and that's how I train my team, too, is if I have something due over the weekend on Monday, just send a quick text reminder. Go through all of the campaigns that you have. We kind of call them like point people at Little Red Management. So like, you know, we we kind of have our point people, whatever. And so I'm like, go through those people before the weekend and see what kind of content you're going to need from them and just shoot them a text. Then you did everything that you can. So it was frustrating. And I mean, you'd probably love this, but Leslie, his uh, wife is an influencer and had was at home with the product and was able to do the whole video, just the product. And he was able to do voiceover and what a nice wife. That is like, that's like a power couple right there. That's like modern day power couple goals right there. I'll ask you the question before I assert my opinion. What do you think is like the best quality of a like a professional influencer if you could pick one like to really become successful what one quality do you think they would have consistently producing high quality content and posting and posting I should say and posting I was gonna say being on time too but that's some of the hardest stuff, like the high quality piece, because it just like after a while, uh, it's it's like, how do you continuously come up with great ideas and what to post? I don't know if you feel like this and if we talk about this a lot, but personally, like I'm embarrassed if I submit 
bad content, like for my client, like, because I think it does have, you know, consequence on me. And, you know, you're representing Little Red Management, too. And so, you know, I'm not afraid to tell talent when their content is bad. I'm like, no, you need to go to get a videographer next time. And like, I'll also have conversations with them. Like, no, I think this one could be more organic. Like this reel could be more organic on the iPhone versus no, this is McDonald's. I want you to go get a videographer for it, you know? So like having those conversations and being open about that. But also it's the on time piece is like my favorite thing in the world. And like, maybe even organization should we say that instead because that's what you said like it was like earlier you're like well they're creative so maybe they just need some like organization of some due dates all right so i have to tell you guys a little bit about a company that i absolutely love it's called oversubscribe their co-founder peter was actually recently on this podcast so go check out that episode from june 20th but basically oversubscribe is a place where fans can fund their favorite creators and earn back on that investment so if you're a creator or their management you should totally check them out the million dollar question these days is always around growth how to grow how to scale and if you're a creator who wants to expand your business, but you simply don't have the capital to do it, let your fans fund it, the people who are already invested in you. Once the creator successfully grows their business from this investment and earns more based on that funding, the investor, the fans, earn from it too. There are lots of fans out there who would love to invest in their favorite creators, but they simply didn't know that they could. So subscribers now have a real stake in the success in a creator's business thanks to oversubscribe. They can help them grow financially, which will then in turn make the content better, the quality of the content better, which will accelerate your growth as a creator just because you got some funding from the people who have already supported you for years. I think it's a really innovative idea. I love it. I want you guys to check out oversubscribe.co and just mention when that's oversubscribe.co and tell them Jesse from Gwen sent you. Hey you. Thanks for listening to this episode. This show is sponsored by Women in Influencer Marketing, the best online community for the creator economy. You'll meet fellow influencer marketers, brands, and talent managers to talk shop, get hired, and even find a mentor. When you join, don't forget to check out all of our incredible resources. We also have dozens of masterclasses from the top voices at TikTok, YouTube, award-winning agencies, and women who are paving the way for us all. If you want a chance to network with a who's who in influencer marketing, just check out what it takes to join the membership collective. Visit iamwim.com slash join today. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M dot com slash join and I'll see you around the community. Totally. There's like a whole toolkit, so it's hard to say just one thing. I'm curious too, like for content creators or their managers, what advice would you give them for getting the attention of their dream clients or dream brands to work with? Yeah. So I always say persistency. So I think on the talent side persistently like posting organically for brands and like being open that that's like your favorite brand because I think that that 
honesty is like what gets brands attention and like the amount of times that I'll literally sit there and like send screenshots of my clients posting the same brands to that brand um eventually does pay off and like I do get some sort of campaign it might take one month it might take a year like just persistence I also think from like the manager's perspective of like working with dream brands it's persistently reaching out and being like following up and finding the right contact and asking whoever you're emailing for the right contact and like we all know that most brands these days that you see on social media have an agency or someone internal that is handling stuff so just being able to be persistent and like I tell my team that so much I'm like find that brand like we know that they're doing stuff they did a bunch of stuff last year like that girl must have left but like don't give up like you have to keep finding whoever the new person is get on a call with them like it's all about persistency in that in that side of things it's funny because my answer to the question before I don't know if I would like apply it to creators honestly but like I think I would say that the number one quality of like a professional to be successful is actually sort of resiliency, which is like a little, there's like shades of that in what you were just describing. Like, you know, you're like, if you can't find the contact, like don't give up, like keep looking for it. You're going to find it. Like when things, you know, go wrong in any capacity in your business, like the ability to get back up again and what you do in the face of adversity, like that's key. And I can definitely see that as a business owner, like as an agency owner, you know, like that's why I'm asking before. I'm like, you know, sure, give us some of the highlights, but owning your own business is hard and like not every day is sunshine and rainbows and butterflies. And so most days. (laughs) Yeah, right. And so I think that just being able to have that resiliency where you can build a callus where you're almost you almost become accustomed to when things go wrong because things just inevitably do go wrong in business. And I personally don't. It's very rare that I will say that was a failure, like failures, quote unquote, like they just happen so often that they can't be failures. They're all learning experiences. Like it's just things inevitably go awry. And it's what you do with that that matters. I also would love to pick your brain a little bit on micro influencers do you also represent micro influencers out of curiosity i have a couple i will only really work with micro influencers if they're consistent and do have a thing and they have high quality content because i think that's the only way that they can make money uh, <laughs> truly um and a lot of the times like i'd have to already see that before I bring them on and like I have to hear that they're already making good money on their own and like brands coming to them versus them like coming to me to make money for that you know what I mean yeah oh yeah hundred thousand percent and I think that with most influencers to be honest like if they're not already making money on their own that's gonna be a little tough and like I can make them more money of course but they should have stuff incoming and like jesse you would believe it or not but like a lot of reality stars don't have a lot incoming and i don't know if it's because it's convoluted or you know brands are getting more and more worried to work with them or there's just so many yeah there's so many of them there's so many influencers in general but like 
I can't even think of specific people right now, but I think in general, like get on their high horse a little bit after the shows and think that all these brands are going to be coming to them. And it's not how it works. Like it's very much like the manager has to fight for you, has to put your name out there and like then we'll be able to get stuff for you. Are there certain brands that you think like more regularly work with reality TV people than others? I mean, my problem, Jesse, with that question is, is like, I don't know other people outside of reality TV. So like, I'm sure the farmer's dog of the world or care of of the world work with other people outside of reality TV. You know what I mean? But that's just like who I see or like Liquid IV or, you know, all those like brands. I like to call them. It sounds bad. And I love you the brands that I work with so I don't want you to get mad at me but like quick money brand deals right where they come off the show and you know the brands that you can reach out to for these reality tv stars to get the money now the problem that I have with that Jesse because I have some people that I don't get right after the show right so I lose out and they might work with someone else or whatever and they get brand deals right already with those and then all of a sudden, they come to me a few months later because it's calmed down, right? Like, they got all those deals. They didn't do well for them, probably. Who knows? Overprice them, whatever. And they come to me, and I'm like, well, damn, like, give me a little minute because, like, I have to go build those relationships for you now, you know? Can we also, so you, like, touched on, like, overpricing, which I think is, like, very much an issue. Um, whether you're in like that celebrity or crossover market or you're just an influencer in general, can you talk to me a little bit about like, I don't know, your philosophy on pricing and like how you come to the prices that you do? If you could even share, like, you know, you don't have to get specific about who it's for, of course, but like, you know, a range of pricing that you tend to expect. Like, I'd just love to pick your brain on pricing. That's probably one of the hardest things, I think, in influencer marketing because I don't want to show my cards and the brand's not going to want to show their cards of how much they're just, like, willing to pay. And, of course, there are analytics and there's things that people can use to formulate pricing. And, like, I kind of look at that as, like, a mainstream, but I think it's hard because it's, like, what would I do versus, like, what the talent's willing to take right after the show. and like how much they trust me versus them listening to their peers of how much they should be making. So personally, I feel like I want them at a price where they're going to get rebooked and is going to be fair if it's a brand that they actually like and want to work with long term. If it's a brand that maybe they're a little hesitant about and the brand wants them to work with them, then that's maybe we're all overpriced a little bit and I know that they'll pay maybe. So I think it's really about knowing the brands. I don't know. It's weird because the brands that I have really good relationships, like Akira, like I'm never going to overprice. Like that sounds bad. Like I'm not. Like I'm going to be doing what's fair for the talent and the brand. But I don't know if it's because like all the clients that I work with like love Kara, right? All the clients I work with love like what I be. And I love, like, what I be personally, right? So, like, I'm always going to, like, work with that. I mean, it's all about relationships, right, in that sense. But, and pricing, for sure. But I think it's hard. The people that come off the show, because I do want to give, like, some sort of, like, money figure. Because, like, I feel like someone that comes off the show at a million followers, let's say, 
I have a client that's maybe been off the show for four years that has a million followers. And I know what they make today. Let's just say anywhere from, depending on the brand, five to 10K. Okay. Depending on the person, of course, the celeb status, et cetera, because some of those still want 10 to 15. But if you're coming off the show and you have high engagement, I may be quoting 15 to 30K, depending on who they are. Right. Or if there's something big in their life at the time, I'm quoting 15 to 20K. But at the end of the day, I do truly feel, and my clients do too, it depends on the brand. They don't want to lose out a campaign with one of their favorite brands because I'm putting them 30K when they would do it for 10. So I think that that's the biggest problem in this industry is I'm trying to have more conversations recently with brands, even on the phone, in person, being like, tell me what you think they would get approved at. My client really wants to work with this brand. So you tell me what you think you can make happen for them and I'll tell you if they'll do it. And if they won't, then that's fine. But like, even if it's something low, like I want to hear it, you know, because I don't want them to lose out on it. Well, definitely. And I think that like you take a really wise approach because I think that some managers fall into the trap of just like, I don't know, almost like negotiating for negotiation's sake. I think that probably brands can attest to that where it's like that's the best way to describe it you know they're just negotiating for negotiation's sake and I think like what I'm hearing you say is you're like well so like you you get to know your client and you know what they want you're not negotiating for you you're negotiating for them and so like if they really love the brand like of course you're always trying to get the most money but there's also other points to the deal that's sometimes equally as important to negotiate as the money. And so, you know, if they're willing to like scrap all the exclusivity, let's say they pay a little under what you'd like them to get for that deal. Well, then you could theoretically work with a company that like maybe is a little bit competitive to them because there's no exclusivity. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm willing to do that because I was just speaking with this other brand the other day and maybe we can get them on both deals or maybe, you know, I don't know. There's just so many factors to how you come up with a price. And most of those decisions should be based on what your client needs and wants. Like if it's the holiday season or like, okay, let's say it's back to school season and you work with a bunch of parents and you know that they're swamped, then you're probably going to charge a bit of a premium because putting one other brand partnership. That's the other thing, how busy they are. How busy they are. Like putting one other brand partnership on their docket during that crazy busy time like is only going to be worth it if it hits a certain number. But alternatively, if it's like after the holidays, like that lull between like January and February and like they're a little slow, you know, you might be willing to make a succession for that. And Um, that's sort of like general stuff. I think that there's so many more um, like personalizations that you can make based on on your client and their needs and their wants, which I just think is like a wise move. It's like a wise perspective to take. I'm curious, in your experience, what are some common mistakes that content creators make when pursuing brand partnerships and like this could be on their own but like even through managers like you know managers are hustling to get brand partnerships and creators should be too so are there any mistakes that they make that you would advise them to avoid oh my god okay so I feel like I have a question before from what our last discussion was so I'll try to remember it 
But I feel like the biggest issue with, not biggest issue, but I think I would say one of the biggest struggles that I have sometimes with brand deals in general is my clients posting stuff like for free or like for trade. And it could possibly take them out of the running for like a competitor that I'm like in talks with already. And they wouldn't necessarily know that. But I've had situations where a client will post for a free hotel and I'm in talks for like a huge campaign for them with another hotel company. And like, I didn't know that, you know? And so I think like there are certain situations where like I've even had to tell my clients like, look, like if you're working with a hotel or like even I saw like a boat company last week and I'm like literally in talks with another boat club for her and she's posing for a free boat club. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I can't have you doing that because like you could be getting paid. I feel like it would be going back on my words of what I said earlier today. But like, I definitely think there's something about posting organically for sure, certain products. But I also think like it's okay to like ask your manager like, hey, like, do you think it's okay if I post this? Like, just want to make sure, like, that we're not in talks with something where it could, like, ruin me working with someone else. I mean, even people that post, like, Target all the time, you're never going to get a Walmart campaign. And Target hardly does campaigns. So, like, I don't know if you're going to get a Target campaign. You know what I mean? So, like, I think that those things are always, like, so, I think that's, like, the biggest mistake of just, like, putting yourself too far in a hole. or like. I mean, of course, I'm going to bring this up right now. Like, even people that are posting, like, Shein and, like, Fashion Nova and those when you're not going to get a free people deal. You're just not. You're not going to get a good American deal. Is the implication that they're just sort of, like, undervaluing their brand? They're sort of, like, diminishing the value of their brand? Is that the implication? I think some people, like, don't, like, the newer brands, like, don't want to be associated with the, like, the more like cheap brands like if they're gonna like promote a luxury product then they're not gonna want to work with them and especially like I've even seen that I actually this was a interesting conversation recently Jesse because I like thought it was kind of like known by the influencer but she had no idea I was like well your brand's like very luxury because like I can tell that like whenever I pitch her to like Lancome or even like Prada or you know I mean high-end perfumes like people are interested in her and there's only a few of my clients that people like are more like the luxury brands are more open to working with I think and she was one of them but she had no idea so I had to like tell her like look like we shouldn't do pretty little thing because that's going to diminish your brand a little bit and why are you going to work with that brand when you can work with a huge luxury brand but she didn't even like know and I can be empathetic to like a creator and say, well, it's hard to say no when you have like your fear that like there won't be a better company or there won't be a better opportunity. There will always. You can't think like that. That's my biggest thing that I tell people. If you say no to this, something better is coming. A thousand percent. You don't want to operate from a place of fear with anything you have to operate in like a place of abundance and I think that like that's one of the many value props that like a manager can bring to the table which is you know you're privy to a lot of conversations that they just aren't part of and nor should they be a part of you know you know that 
you know, someone was like, oh, they have like a really beautiful feed. Like I like as soon as I have a budget, I want to work with them. And so like maybe that's not going to convert to something right here and right now, but you're going to file that away and you're going to say, you know, maybe that'll convert in the future. Maybe it won't. It's okay. But that might indicate. But I believe, I believe it will. Like if a client checks in with me that they don't have any paid campaigns and I see that they posted one time last month, like I know why you don't have paid campaigns. Like brands look at that. So that's why I think about it. And Jesse, I mean, to your point, like I've, that's why I like started Little Red Management's like Instagram page so I could even share with just my client like some intel of what I learned by talking to brands, you know, and like what little mistakes I deal with every day that I can like teach all my clients about. And so if you could think of like a couple things that are top of mind, like tips that you would give, whether it's other managers or creators, like things you think they might not be privy to all the time, things that you think they might not be thinking about um, if they could be a fly on the wall, like what would you inform them of? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I learned, I mean, it sounds so silly, Jesse, but if you're not posting 10 plus story frames a day, brands don't think that you're a true influencer because you are not posting your whole entire life all the time. And that's how you convert is that your fans know who you are. And if you're not posting, they don't know who you are. And that's just like a little thing that I love. Another thing that I think is super helpful is if you have, for example, Sunday night, you cook on your stories every single night. I don't care if it's in your highlight. I'm sorry, brands don't care as much that it's in your highlight. If they don't see that you cook in feed, like you don't cook. Like if you do something in stories and you're not doing it in feed, you don't do those things. Like, that's how I see things. If you go on a hike every day or you have a dog that you're posting about every day and you never post with your dog, like, you're literally don't have a dog. Like, <laughs> so, like, those are my two tips. Consistently posting, which I said, high quality content, like, is super important. I just think brands are not working with people that don't produce super high quality content. I think video content is I'm sure we all talk about all the time is just the only thing that really brands are doing now. I think reels and TikToks and that sort of video content, I have found more popular than even stories these days. And of course, in feed photos, which is what we were used to seeing all the time. So learn how to make videos. <laughs> and to that point, too, I'm curious because you know, with video in terms of quality, like it could be all over the place. Like you could be like cinematic quality where it almost, I wonder if it almost looks too professional. Like it almost feels like an ad, like a commercial on TV, but then you can go to the opposite extreme where it's like bad lighting. Like you have, you know, your phone, it's just poor quality. What are your thoughts on that? Like, is there a time and a place for different qualities of video? Should you always assume that it should be high quality in terms of like your organic content? Is your brand content different? Like, what are your thoughts on the quality of video? Yeah, no, I, it's funny because like we were kind of talking about it earlier, right? Like if it's McDonald's, I'm like, okay, do, do that. But I think it depends too on um, 
what the brand wants. Like, you know what makes me mad, though? I was going to say, like, oh, like, what the brand kind of wants. So they want more professional. Like, what have I seen them do in the past or like? But it's hard because they don't always tell me. They assume that if they've done something for a brand in the past, that they're also going to do it for them. I don't know how to explain it, but it's mostly like if I feel like I get a client brand deal that wants more, I don't know, like it feels more like it would need a production and more like ad work. (laughs) Like you have to put the FTC guidelines, like all that stuff, like do high quality content, you know? And like for all your other stuff, you can do iPhone photos, but I still need them to be high quality. You can't just like post half ass. And the problem is, is that like even to me, like high quality content is like still like vibey to me. And like that can be pixelated too, right? So it just depends on what you think is for that specific influencer, what high quality even means, whether it's funny, whether it's vibey, whether it's literally not pixelated and like with a professional camera, right? Like there's so many different things that could mean high quality now. And, like, what does that mean to you? That's true. And, like, I just think the bar is just so high that, like, to compete, there's a level that you have to be at. Then, like, sort of, like, after that point, you can go in different directions. You can sort of edit it how you want. Like, you know, because I think the editing also could make a difference in, like, how, like, the quality comes across, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that there's, like, a barrier to entry because it's just if you want to compete and there's so many creators out there where their organic stuff is just beautiful and even stories, which are, like, or have always traditionally been the most casual, the most, like, entry level of video, like, even then you still like just good light good natural light goes a really long way when i think that's my biggest thing Josie, that i struggle with especially working with reality stars like once they get off the show is like if they can't do content themselves which like a lot of them can't get in that routine all the time like then invest in your new brand that you have right your your new job And go hire a photographer and videographer that can help you. Because I feel like I'm just like so burnt out of like these reality stars that do come to me to manage them and me have to kind of reshare like what I know, right? And like what works and what doesn't work and the consistency and having to do all this stuff when like in actuality, like if you can't go do it yourself, like you need to hire someone and pay for that. And you can't, like you're not gonna make money if you're not posting already, because that's the whole thing, right? They'll say like, oh, I don't make enough money yet. Well, I'm like, well, you're not going to make that money unless if you invest in yourself too. Totally. And like, you can write those things off. Like, you, you know, oh, I'm like, why not? You can go into it with a friend. Like, you know, like, oh my God, I've seen people be so thrifty when it comes to hiring help in terms of like photographers, videographers, like, I've seen people be like, yeah, like, all right, so I'm going to go, you know, I have another influencer friend or five (laughs) and they go into the photographer together and it's like, you get an hour, you get an hour. And like, all you need is 10 outfits, 15 minutes. I'm just kidding. Like an hour with 10 outfits at your house. And you can get content for a couple months, you know, like you can just, yeah, change outfits, change locale. I don't know. I love being efficient and cost effective with this stuff, too. That is what 
will help, you know, influencers who are like up and coming or like just want to sort of take the get things to the next level. You should be resourceful about stuff. You shouldn't overspend. So no one's saying that, but you know, there are clever ways to get to the same result. So I have a feeling that our listeners are going to want to connect with you and learn more about you, more about your company. So what is the best way for them to reach out? Yeah. Well, I always, if it's a new influencer, I always like email because I can get back to them when I have time. Um, so my email is Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y at littleredmgmt.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Little Red Management or Courtney Bagby, soon to be Courtney Lupillin. If you're listening to this in a month, congratulations. I saw that. I saw that. Amazing. We will link all of that in the show notes. And I think the last question I have for you for today, I love talking about predictions, being forward thinking. I hate that. I'm scared. I'm like, don't be scared. Maybe I'll ask you, I'll end it on a different note. Do you want to do a different question and no predictions? We don't have to do predictions. You don't want to do it? No, let's do predictions. But I want to hear yours first. Oh, man, I got to be put on the spot. Okay. Okay. All right. I I feel you. I respect it. Okay. So we will both today, because you're hilarious, give our predictions for the rest of 2023. Okay. I will start. We're recording this. We're barely a week from when Threads was released, which is, you know, the Twitter rival or whatever from Instagram or Meta technically. And so in terms of predictions, I do see Threads as being a thing. I don't really seeing it as like its own influencer strategy. I don't see it being as its own like standalone, like we got to just, we're going to spend 15 grand on a Threads post. Like No one's going to be doing that now. And I don't really even see that into the future because it's very supplementary. But I do see it as a... I want to cut you off though. Do you feel like that because... This is why I feel this way, same as you, is because Be Real became a thing and everyone got on that app. And then I still never really saw it as like an influencer strategy. And people are still on it. People are very much still on it. And there are a lot of other like... There are a lot of other platforms that people are legit on. I think that like Threads has much more staying power simply because it's under the meta umbrella. I think that like it was very timely. Like if if Elon hadn't have purchased Twitter when he did and sort of like has <laughs> like treated Twitter the way that he has, Threads would never exist. Um, I just, you know, the platform, it's like the, the, Twitter's been around since freaking forever you didn't really see influencer deals on there either, right? So I think that because it's mostly a text-based app, although of course you can still post photos and GIFs and all that stuff too, like I I just, I see Instagram as being the primary platform where the most more dynamic content can be created, YouTube as well, you know? Um, but 
I do see, I definitely think people will be experimenting with it. And I don't, I do think that there's an opportunity for some creators who like, they enjoy having conversations and creating threads, which is everything that threads is about. Like I do see there as being an additional place where they can do that and, and build community. I think threads could be really, really interesting. So I don't necessarily know that I see like an influencer marketing brand strategy per se, but I will predict that certain influencers will really, really build community on threads. And that I'm, I think is very smart. And I think, um, I look forward to seeing that. That's my prediction. What's your prediction? I think for me, I was thinking more of like in the brand world and like campaigns because I feel like the first half of the year, which like now we're in Q3, right? So the first half of the year, I feel like has been slower than last year, I will say for me. And I'm mostly hoping like that it's not a me problem and more of like just the industry overall and the recession we're in. But I'm hopeful that these next six months are going to pick up because of how slow it was in the beginning of the year. And like people like I always feel brands are always trying to figure out like their strategy for the rest of the year, especially like always talking about holiday back to school all this time. So I'm hoping that it'll pick up now. I think it's also just really going to be important for these reality stars for all the creators to really just like be consistent. I've been talking about this the whole time, but on their point of view, like I can do my job, but I can't do it unless they're like posting and producing on their own. So just like, I can't stress enough how important it is that like, just because you are this certain reality star or whoever you are, a big name, et cetera, like you have to put out content that you have to be consistent and put out content every other day at minimum. Um, otherwise, you're not gonna you're not gonna outshine those people that are content creators that are doing content every day, like the reality stars. Which is so convoluted, you know? Yeah, it is. But I mean, it's interesting. Like, I don't know. Sometimes you sort of have to go back to basics. Like, people are like, oh, that sounds so basic. But like, no, actually, sometimes you need to go back to basics because. I think like a lot of what I'm hearing, like a lot of what we're talking about today is like the barrier to entry and like how to level up. And in order to do that, like there needs to be like a really solid foundation of like the quality of content, the consistency in which you're posting it. And it's not just any content. I consistently hearing you say it's like quality content. And I think that's what makes like that's what sets apart uh, you know, somebody who wants to be on the internet from somebody who's like a true content creator. Like it is hella hard to constantly have a finger on the pulse of your community to know what they want to hear, what creates buzz, what is going to build excitement and train your audience to buy things and to purchase services or goods or whatever you're trying to sell. Like all of that is such a skill um, and that's like the real marker of a true content creator. I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you one more question because you just opened up a can of worms for me. I don't know if you've heard this, Jesse, but I feel like a lot of influencers are like hiring people to manage their social media more and more. 
What is your opinion on that? Because I personally have only seen it once and I, their like sales went down on how much they were able to sa- sell to their fans. When that person did it, like, or in some of the, you know, scenario, I don't know, in some of the people, the circumstances mm-hmm. that you're seeing, they're hiring them to do like what exactly on social media? Like captions and like posting on in feed and like making sure they're po- constantly posting but then i think there's like, like lack of like story content almost that they're like putting out there i feel like or something i mean it's just a personal theory because i've only seen it once but i just was like sort of curious if you've had any experience with it and like what you've noticed personally yeah so really good question um because I also think I also wonder if it like will bleed into the world of AI that we are in like are they going to hire someone or will they like having you know chat GBT come up with captions right um and sometimes I feel like chat GBT might come up with a better caption than like a shitty can't a shitty like social media manager um I think that with, so I guess like first part of your question, like I think that the, you know, you get what you pay for. I've seen a lot of people try to um, hire social media managers that are like, you know, right out of college or just like inexperienced, maybe offshore. And in certain instances, like, so I'm all about delegating. So if you, there are absolutely instances in your uh in your um uh like in your job there are certain instances in your business that you can absolutely outsource delegate the whole nine but the in my opinion a lot of those things are the minutia things that don't take a ton of skill so that you or the more experienced people at your company your business your brand whatever it is so that you can do the more skilled things so that you're not like living in that minutia, right? So captions, um, I've seen people write captions in chat GPT and it sounds just like the influencer, which is wild. Um, I think that if you end up hiring someone to manage your social media, especially I can, I can see that in like the celebrity space where like, you know, they're like, They have a ton of other stuff going on, but they hear you in the back of their mind being like, I need to post. I need to post all the time. But they have other projects. It could make a lot of sense, but I would be very cautious to see who you hire and that there would have to like I would recommend like an approval process. So like maybe they come up with a bunch of content, but I wouldn't give them like the authority to post right away. Like I would say, you know, present me with all the posts and I'll tweak it and approve it before it actually goes live that's good for sure but i just i feel like it's hard because you have the especially some of these people that you know feel like they're best friends with the creators and they were so active on stories all the time that i feel like when someone took over like the in-feed side like it just naturally like you kind of sell off social media in general and you're just like not posting a lot yeah i think it depends but it's a really interesting topic uh yeah, I have to bring it up because you said something and I was like, okay, wait, like, I need your thought. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, it's super interesting. I mean, look, if I, like, real talk, if I could hire someone to do all my content and for it to actually, like, sound like, you know, in the voice that I would want it to be, in the tone of what we're writing for it to be what I want it to be, like, 
that'd be freaking amazing. And I've explored higher, you know, I'm like a fraction of the content creator that like a real influencer is, but I'd have explored hiring someone to manage our social, but we haven't, I haven't found anybody that I think is like really going to do it well. Right? But like, she doesn't have that. But, I'm kidding. but like, I mean, I think it was the best for a little organic, but I wish she would do it for myself too, honestly. But I could see how, you know, you just have to, I think in this day and age, you, you know, the story, the story content world and the deals on that versus the deals in feed, it is sort of a different world in the sense that, you know, the people in feed, the brands doing stuff in feed is more like KPI based and the ones like doing stories are more like return investment sort of thing and they want their sales back. And so I just feel like it depends on what kind of career you are. We're like, if you're used to being on stories 24-7, like, then, you know, you you can't just drop that off, you know? Like, if it's like me and I'm never on stories anyway, then, like, I'm like, yeah, manage my thin feed. <laughs> We're good, ready? Totally. But I will say, like, I, you know, to have somebody who's just, like, on your team who could, like, come up with topics for you to discuss and like, you know, remind you that it's time to shoot some content or like find all of those Instagrammable moments. Like I will tell you that I've had traditional influencers struggle with that. And I've had, you know, more of these like celebrities certainly struggle with that because they're just not used to it. But I have like one client who like is still very, very big on social. And I would tell her, I'm like, Jess, like you gotta think of all those moments that are just Instagrammable moments. And she, like I had to like retrain her on when to capture content, like when this might be interesting to see, like that people would want to know about this side of stuff too. Um, and so to have someone there, you know, to, to help stir that up, it, whether it's like to actually be on the ground capturing it or actually editing it or just like coming up with a bunch of ideas and thought starters and feed you with those prompts. Like, I love it. I actually think it's great. I just think that like there needs to definitely be oversight of it. But if it's done well, I think it's brilliant because I think one of the biggest problems that creators have these days is that they're like way too oversaturated and reliant upon brand partnerships. And I feel like it to have staying power, to have longevity, and to just like simply have a more like fulfilling career. But you also have to just like you want to get out of the weeds and you want to and you want to continue to grow. And I just feel like it, you you hire the right people and now you can launch your own clothing line because now you have more no, time. I think that that. Yeah, I think that that's what it is. But you have to I think you have to come up with those like other things that you're going to work on and like also have your own personal goals of like how you want it to be and that you are like growing. Cause that's, that's the thing too, is, is like, if you're doing that and you're not getting the views that you used to, you know, so if you're not growing, you're dying. And I feel like on social media, like that's, it's a really dramatic thing to say, but okay, hold on. Let, this is a whole nother conversation now. Cause you're also weeding out those people that are never going to buy from you and aren't watching anyway. So sometimes you're slim in the fat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's not always, but I get it. Like you have to have those, those views that are growing or just like, 
these days, I just truly believe if you can put out good content, like people will hire you. So that's the thing. And good can mean so many things, as we just talked about. But, and it depends on the brand. Okay, I guess I'll stop talking. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to do a part two because there's a lot to say. And I, I'm enjoying the conversation a lot. Um, like I mentioned before, we will drop all of Courtney's info in the show notes. You can definitely reach out. She's also a member of WIMS. You'll definitely see her around the community. It's been such a pleasure having you on today. So thank you so much for joining. Always so great catching up. Same. Agreed. And I hope that you guys reach out to Courtney. She's awesome. And for all of you guys listening, we will, well, first of all, keep listening for the next episode because the next one will come after, if you haven't listened to last week's yet. And then for all of you guys who've already listened, we will see you next week. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast.